Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, episode 27, Wake Up. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man. That's Jesus. Jesus continues to use these real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Blake Peppers is joining us today on the Unbroken Jars podcast. And Blake is from Huntsville area and is currently working at the His Way Recovery Center. Uh, I got to know Blake over um, the last seven or eight months, I guess. And uh, every time I was uh, at His Way, uh, I would I would wind up talking with Blake. And we've kind of become friends over that time. And I'd hear like little bit, bits and pieces of his story. Um, so I invited him for a conversation this summer. Uh, to come and talk in front of uh, our our summer class, and he did. And as that unfolded, um, I, I as I heard his story more and more, I knew that uh, I wanted him on our podcast, and I knew that God had been working big time in his story and continued to work in his life. Um, and it's taken a little while, but we finally uh, we finally got our schedules together, and some some events kind of came in between um, our our time and our timing, but. Um, Blake, we're excited that you're here, and I know that those people who will hear this podcast will be blessed by what God has done and is doing in your life. So thanks for joining us today on this. Well, thanks for having me, Doug. It's uh, it's always an honor to share what God's doing in my story yeah. in my life. So. Yeah, we're excited about it. And I, I'm just now meeting Blake, I think. We might run into each other at his way, possibly at some point, but I've heard about him through the people at 2020 that come that are part of the His Way community. And and so, Blake, what I was going to follow up with, with with is that Doug mentioned you grew up in Huntsville, but maybe tell us a little bit about your family life growing up, um, who raised you, parents, whoever, and um, did you have brothers and sisters and that sort of thing? Just kind of give us some backdrop on that. Okay, well, um, so I'm 38 years old, and, yes, um, I have my mom, I have a mom and a father, uh, but they were they split up early when I was I was probably like two when they split up. Um, maybe maybe three years old when 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 they split up. But um, I ended up with my dad had primary custody, and um, I got one sister. She's um, she'll be forty tomorrow, but of course she passed away a couple months ago. Sure. Um, so, so you were primarily raised by your dad. Yes. And, in, in, in that environment. So, which is, which is here in Huntsville. Correct. Um, 
So, um, so do you remember? I always, I always kind of wonder this anyway. How? What's your earliest? Do you remember your parents being together? No, I no, I don't. I can't recall them being together. Yeah, I kind of wonder that. I, you know, sometimes we we ask about our earliest memories, and sometimes it's it's bigger things, and uh, and your parents being apart like that. Um, I, I know that. So when we were talking, strangely enough, the last when you came over the summer, and you and I were having a conversation, you know, you, you mentioned something to to us over supper that you said, "Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to talk about anything." But some something very traumatic happened to you and your sister early on in life, and it kind of shaped a lot of of y'all's bonding together, but also shaped your life in so many ways. Can you tell us a little bit about? that if you're willing to yeah sure um so trauma happened uh very early on in in my life um I was three years old um when my mom and my dad were getting divorced and I was at my mom's and we were at my grandmother's actually but I I remember um she was leaving and she left me and my sister with um my grandmother's brother which we called him Uncle Bobby, and as far as I as far as I know, this is the first time I had ever met him. But um, I remember, I remember my mom waving. I remember her brown hand in the door as she was waving by, and so we'll be back in a little while. And before she had even left, uh, before the door had even shut. My Uncle Bobby said, uh, won't you two go in the middle room? We're going to play a game. And um, we went in the room, and it, to our knowledge, we didn't really understand anything or what was going on, but um, um, <clears throat> we we thought we were just playing a game. But um, he had us take our clothes off and, you know, fondle each other, and he fondled us, and um, – he he raped me and my sister right in front of each other, and um, um, then he threatened that if we told anybody, he was going to kill my mom. And of course, you know we <clears throat> we were scared, you know, and, and we didn't really want to, but inevitably. Um, you know, the pain was noticed and, and there was something definitely wrong. And of course I, I told, told everything. And so, um, that, that caused a lot of, um, you know, a lot of mental issues in mine and my sister's life. I'm sure I remember, um, I had to testify at court when I was four and, um, had to point, point him out in the courtroom I remember I started going to the psychiatrist um, immediately all the way first, you know, kindergarten, first, second, and some of third grade. I would get checked out of school every Thursday at one, and I would go to the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And they would, they would, um, it seemed to me like, you know, like it would just never end. Like, because for one, you know, not only did I develop a whole lot of trust issues with just anyone, but then your parents would drop you off with some stranger when last time they dropped you off with a stranger, it didn't work out. So it was all pretty, mm -hmm. you know, scary and traumatizing. And then they would make you ask, you know, 
make you um, reenact or draw or watch videos that made you uncomfortable and, and more or less made you relive the moment over and over right. again. So um, that, <laughs> I mean, that is is what it is. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's overwhelming. It really is. I mean, just um, it's heartbreaking, but it's overwhelming, and it's. I know you've told this story a lot, and you you know your story. You said that before we started the podcast, even, and you're comfortable with your story, but it's it's one of those things that's completely and totally overwhelming as as you. Th- you know, you think about it and even talking about, you know, having to go back and almost relive it when the goal was trying to help. Right. But right. The, the idea of processing through that. Well, at that age, you just don't really understand oh, sure. what's going on. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, it, I was on the age of, or I was on antidepressants at the age of five. And I remember, um, them always trying to try a different one. You're just trying to find something that would, you know, make me happy, so to speak. But um, what I really needed was healing, I, I guess, and mm-hmm. as I would learn later on in life. Yeah. Um, I I think it would be hard to to you said this earlier, to, but to trust anyone, and it would be hard to find happiness because so often happiness is in relationships and it's hard to trust relationships at an early age when relationships have kind of betrayed you almost. Right. Um, not only did, had my parents, you know, went through a divorce, which that itself was traumatic Mm -hmm. and, um, didn't understand none of it really. Um, but it was hard, you know, it was part some abandonment issues there. Um, definitely, Definitely had trouble even trusting um, who my parents were leaving me with, you know, just adults in general, Mm -hmm. um, authorities, stuff like that. Took on a whole new, you know, perspective in in my my life. You know, I was um, shaping in iniquity, as as they would say. Um, Yeah. How about about your sister? I mean, I mean, not to jump ahead right now, but like that event, um, did she have to go? Was she old enough? Did she have to testify in court as well? Did you have to do most of that for for the both of you? Or she testified in court. Um, I don't recall her going to the psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, of course, she ended up moving in with my mom, and I stayed with my dad. Okay. And then later, she came back to stay with um, me and my dad. So, like, in growing up years, was there any conversations about God or introduction to God? And if so, when and whom? I mean, did did you your family your, your dad go to church or anything like that? Why, when you were with him, or no? I wouldn't say that we have a church background. Um, I remember when we were kids, and um, when we'd get out of school, sometimes we went to a church as a daycare until you know, um, dad or my grandmother could pick us up. Um, we were more like, um, 
Easter Sunday kind of church, and that was pretty much sure. it. So, um, and later on in life, I remember my dad trying to, um, you know, wanted us to go to church, but yeah. he quickly gave up on that as we would rebel and didn't want to go, but he didn't go either. So, yeah, sure. So, so, so really growing up, faith wasn't, I mean, I'm sure you knew about God from different people talking about it, but not necessarily that wasn't a part of your life in any way. It didn't sound like. I think everybody in America has heard about it. But right, especially in the South. But knowing yeah. about it is totally different. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But So help us understand somewhere along the way you were introduced to drugs and that lifestyle. And, and, and maybe, maybe that all began at, at the early age when you, when you were talking about the trauma that was built in there. And, and maybe that was a catalyst to, to some of this. But at some point along the way, um, your life kind of went toward drugs and, and your own um, decision. What, what and how did that begin or how did that happen? Do you remember? Okay, so... Um of course, while all this is going on, you don't really see it, but I, I think hindsight twenty twenty, you know, as, but, um, <clears throat> at, you know, as I said, as a result of a lot of the trauma and the things I've went through, um, I became very introverted, very isolated, mm -hmm. um, you know, even from coming home from the psych or, you know, getting checked out, out of school to go to the psychiatrist, you know, because, kids are mean and they have a lot of questions and they'll ask you anything. And oh, so yeah. like, of course, you know, it probably wasn't as, you know, prevalent as I thought, but to me, it seemed like everybody in my grade knew and they looked, looked at me different because I went to the psychiatrist and when they asked me where you're going, you're like, um, I'm just going to a, a special, they, you know, they, they tell you, just tell them you're going to a special class. And then you're like, all right. So when they ask you and you say you're going to a special class, they're like, they have more questions, yeah. but you can't answer them. So yeah. you kind of, um, it kind of just, you, you would get mad and frustrated and um, basically would isolate from the other kids because you didn't really, you know, feel comfortable about any of it. You just knew it wasn't natural and that you were different for some reason, you know. And the psychiatrist would tell you so often that, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, uh, you know, so often that you would start to think there was something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. counter yeah. to what. <laughs> but, um, however, <clears throat> I start, yeah, like I said, I was very introverted, isolated. Um, I had a, I was withdrawn in the shell. You know, I, I didn't reach out, didn't make friends real easy, but I, I did make some and, um, later on, and I was somewhat of an outcast because of it, you know, that, and then you, you notice as going to school that sometimes the, um, outcasts are the most acceptable ones, you know, that'll approach you. And so yeah, I found myself around some of the, the wrong people and, you know, they, I, I ran into some kids and they were smoking weed and, um, you know, they asked me if I wanted to be. I wanted to smoke and, you know, I was being accepted a little yeah, bit. So I, sure. you know, I, I, I did. And, um, 
that's kind of like how it initially started, you know, it was just mm-hmm. um, something sociably, you know, sociable. And um, I found the drugs and, or, you know, the weed and, and all the drugs to kind of bring me out of my shell Mm-hmm. to make me feel free, make me um, thinking I was fitting in and I was having fun. So to me, it it um, was an escape. And uh, that escape really uh, allowed to just consume me and take over me. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's, so, so it actually brought relationships into your life in a way. Yeah. It, it, it's, that's kind of... Uh, yeah, it's it's it brought relationships and it ruined relationships at the same time. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what what do you mean by ruined relationships? Well, because um, like you know, family when they start questioning you and asking you, of course you 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 lie and you manipulate and uh, you don't want them to know the truth or and, you know because you don't want to get in trouble so. It ruined relationships like that with the family and, mm-hmm. you know, the important people. But um, at the same time, it brought new relationships and a whole nother world of people. Yeah. And it and it sounds like those people, and, and this is very true. This is part of, even part of the Christian culture that's sort of an issue is like a lot of times the, the drug slash worldly culture is the one that's like, yeah, I don't care what you do. Come on in. You fit here. Right. Right. And so so when somebody like yourself is hurting, lost, or uh, or struggling, they find acceptance there. Where um it could and, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So 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 tell me a little bit more about the substances you begin to get into. You know, you said you started with marijuana, but then it kind of divulged was there you know, I, I work in substance abuse. Is there was there a substance of choice? Well, it's it started with marijuana, but that's just the first thing I ran across. But I quickly um, became open game to any new thing because I liked it so much. I was always like, "Well, what's this? Well, what's that?" Yeah. You know. And I might have been eleven when I started smoking, but mm. the first time it quickly quickly started getting me into uh, trouble. The first time I was arrested for possession of marijuana, I was 12, and I went to the D home. And um, But I remember um, by the time I was 15, I was selling cocaine, um, mm-hmm. doing meth, acid, um, just pretty much anything you get your hands on and um, – could pretty much get anything that I wanted. And my sister, she was a little bit older than me, and I always seemed to hang out with her and her friends. And, uh, of course, me and her went through the same phases, the same friends, same cycles as mm-hmm. the other ones. So, so that's, that's that's a part of this, too, is once you start down that, that hole, that rabbit hole, right, uh, it just opens up on the other side for drugs, right? You, you make one contact and then other contact. Yeah. So as you, as as this kind of kept building and everything, as you got older, how did these substances that you were using affect your life legally? I think you mentioned that one, <laughs> but in the relationships too, like you know, so you got this new crowd in that came that you were with. But what about your family relationships, your other? As you got older, how did that all kind of impact you? You know. Well, um, 
So my family relationships were, for the most part, distant. Um, hmm. Yeah, I would rather do what I wanted to do, you know, and by the time I was 15, you really couldn't tell me much of anything. Um, at this time, I, I stayed with my mom, and my dad had a hard time with um, with knowing how to help or um, what I needed, I guess, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, and uh, me and him had some problems. I, I really don't want to, like, dishonor him because um, we yeah. got such a great yeah. relationship now. But yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we – sometimes it escalated. And, and I pretty much I, – I was raised in a pretty volatile situation family life uh, situations at times, you know. Sure. A lot of times it would just not be that big a deal, but you never really knew when it was just going to hit the fan. And so I, as a um, as a way of coping or, or dealing with that, a lot of times I just stayed away, you know. I tried to stay out of their face and just, just to be as distant as possible. Yeah. And legally, what, what kind of legal things started – Propping up as is, as you continue to use. I mean, did you? Oh, that was a never-ending cycle. <laughs> um, for like I said, the first time I was arrested, I was twelve. I was in and out of the D home, um, all the way up to I was the age of an adult, and then it didn't stop there. Then I just started going to a bigger jail and and getting more lengthy sentences. Um, so <clears throat> I've got. Um, 23 mugshots in Madison County Jail alone. That's from the age of 18 and, and over. And that's just Madison County Jail. That's not counting Morgan County, DeKalb County, Orange County, or these other jails. I've been to prison three times. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just a never-ending cycle. <laughs> and, and each time you went, though, when you got out, it just you kind of went back to the same... I mean, the temptation was to go back and do the same, do the same things again, right? I mean, or did it did it change you any when you when you can't got out, or it was just more find the same people you were hanging out with and do the same things again, or? Um, it's it's yeah, for the most part, it was like um a lot of stubbornness, yeah, um, a lot of. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. It was a lot of me just fighting against this invisible force to just, you know, to me, if I felt like I was honestly just felt like I've been cursed from, you know, a young age and felt like it did. I didn't realize that I had a lot of uh, influence in, in, in all these consequences. I thought it was just, the world was beating me down and yeah. that I was cursed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you have, and then the, somewhere in all this too, you've got some, you have some children, right? Or some kids uh, now. And, yeah. Um, uh, I, I fathered three kids. I think anybody can father a kid, but not everybody can be a dad. But, um, so I got one, I got a daughter, um, Zoe, she lives in L.A., Los Angeles, California, and I also got a son named Dylan. He lives in Fort Walton. She is 15, and he's about 13. 
And I got a seven-year-old, Gage, who I just recently got rights to and have been um, blessed to be a part of his life recently. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Hey, so 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 kind of back to the, the this, you know, your legal issues. You're 23 and you're 23 mugshots in in Madison County. You're however many in Orange County. You're so basically you're well known around here, but just for the wrong reasons. You've, you've had your picture taken a lot. Um, by, I, I, you know, sometimes I wonder when the police say, Oh, Hey Blake, it's good to see you again, buddy. I wish we didn't see you again, but, um, it's kind of how that they were. It sounds like, but you know, somewhere along the way, there was kind of a wake up moment or a, a moment where you got worn out with all this. And you, you kind of tell the story of, of, of being done with it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What led up to kind of your wake up moment and being put in jail and all that? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> so like I said, in and out of jail, um, it never really did anything, but you know, finally, um, See how exactly I remember. I had just I had gotten out of prison in two thousand and um, seventeen, and I immediately got arrested within a few months. And and in a year and a half of me getting out, I had gotten arrested four times, and I was out on four different bonds and for mm-hmm. some pretty heavy heavy charges and. Um, for instance, well, at the time I had uh, two traffickings, a manufacturing, four possession charges, three pistol charges, three eluding charges, two burglary thirds, a paraphernalia, and a DUI um, that I was out on bond for. And um, like I said, I had just gotten out of prison in 2017, just like a little over a year before this, and I kind of felt like um, I felt like I was fixing to get life in prison, you know, like. Um, in my experience, you know, usually your, your, your sentences just get bigger. Yeah. yeah. And so I had really dug myself in a real deep hole and, um, I was in a very dark place in my mind. And, um, quite frankly, um, I, I just didn't want to suffer the consequences and and I was ready to just give up. And I remember, um, I remember the, the, the fifth arrest, the fifth and final arrest. Um, I was, um, I was, I, I was at my little girlfriend's house and I told her, you know, I was like, um, I was like, look, I've decided to take my own life, but, uh, since I'm a coward and I can't do it myself, I'm going out like this. And I cocked a gun and I said, suicide by cop. And I peeled out of her driveway and, um, didn't really know exactly what was going on or how I was going to do it, but um, mm-hmm. it's like the devil had a steering wheel in my back and he was driving me into a wreck and it wasn't a matter of some hours later that um, I found myself in in a front yard and I was just uh, loading stuff onto a, onto a U-Haul truck and um, this in broad daylight and this cop, you know, come right up on me and he was like, you know, freeze and... So I threw, um, I threw it, the chair I had at him 
and I ran and jumped in the in the car, and um, my gun was in the car, and I wasn't getting to it, but I ended up taking him on a high speed chase, which um, was all over the news and everything, and I ended up coming to an abrupt stop um, along the way. I remember a basketball going across the road, and I panicked, so to speak, but I, you know, I got out and I, I tried to jump a fence. <clears throat> and then uh, I slipped and fell. When I came down, I, I reached for my gun and, and pulled, drawn on the police officer, and I got shot in the face uh, with a taser. By the grace of God, it wasn't a pistol. But um, <sighs> this was the darkest moment in the world for me. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't even do this right, you know. And, and um, I just I just knew that I was – I was gone. I was fixing to spend the rest of my life in prison. And uh, not only was I out on all these bonds, there's no telling what all these charges I had just accumulated in this last stunt. And um, so <clears throat> I almost succeeded, hmm. but but gratefully, uh, you know, by, like I said, by the grace of God, I, I did not. But I, I would argue with you today that I – did not succeed because um, Blake Peppers, the, the guy was, he died that day. Because um, I, I found myself in jail, and um, I remember it must have been Sunday because um, I remember the jail was crowded, and I was laying in a boat, and um, a little plastic boat bed by a picnic table because they were so crowded. And um, I remember... I was like in the fetal position, just drowning in my own misery. And um, I remember this preacher, um, he was pacing back and forth and he was screaming real loud. And and I was just wanting him to shut up, quite <laughs> frankly, you know. Um, but he was walking back and forth and I'll never forget what he said. He, he was saying, I know some of y'all are walking around dead in your trespasses and sins. Don't even want to live no more. And um, I, by now, I'm pulling my hair, you know, because he's 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 talking directly to me in, in my in my mind. And um, then he looked straight at me, and he said, um, "Therefore, I'm going to take you to Ephesians five fourteen. It says, "Wake up, sleepwalker! Arise from the darkness, and Christ will shine His light on you." Mm. And at this very moment, um, it's like um, it's like I had an, an epiphany or an, an you know a burning bush moment because <clears throat> when he said that, I instantly like had a um, a flashback in, in my mind of two weeks prior I was at my dad's house and I had a pocket full of dope but I didn't have any money and I was I said. Um, you know, when he was trying to leave his house, I said, Dad, and he wouldn't let me in the house. So I was like, Dad, let me get $60 so I can get a room. Mm-hmm. And um, he gave me $40, and he said, when are you going to wake up, son? And then from that moment, the vision switched uh, from from that to one week prior to me getting arrested. I was at um, one of my baby mother's house, and um, – crying about my little girlfriend and she said Blake when are you gonna wake the f up all right and um 
so there I was, and this preacher man was telling me to wake up. And the craziest thing, it's like uh, something I realized right then that something way bigger than me, something supernatural mm-hmm. was going on and that somebody was trying to tell me that I needed to wake up. And, and I heard I heard the call right then. And I, <clears throat> I was I was crazy. I mean, I, I didn't know if I was just crazy or what. So I went and when the preacher got done, I went and talked to him. And I wish I wish to God I knew his name. Um, but I didn't even ask him, you know, but I was I, I was telling him about what was going on in my life. And I told him about the the flashbacks and, and what I just, you know, and, and asked him if he was talking to me or what. And um, I, I needed answers. And um, so what he told me, and I'll never forget what he told me either. He said, son, you getting arrested was your divine intervention. <laughs> he said, those three situations lining up back to back was your divine appointment. Now it's up to you to have a divine confirmation and get saved by the grace of the Lord. And he gave me a little bitty New Testament Bible. And he said, you're here, son, your answers are in there. And then he left. And um, I just stared at the Bible and, and you know, <clears throat> I, I knew that I had to pray. I, I knew that I needed, you know, God was real all of a sudden. Like, like you know, God has just revealed himself to me. And, and all of a sudden, I knew that I was vile and disgusting and had blood on my hands and I needed, I needed help. And so I went into a, I sail and I, and I prayed and I asked God to come into my heart and, you know, forgive me for my sins and, you know, to help me. And of course I, I made some promises I probably shouldn't have made, you know, <laughs> but uh, I promised, I said, God, if, if you please, would you just, if you just see me out of all this mess, I promise you, I will never get high and I will never sell drugs again. Um, I still went to prison, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he, I would still say that he um, he came through on on his end for sure because I didn't do as much time as I thought I would. In fact, I did less time in prison that time than than the second time I went to prison. And um, but God told me not to do time, but to use time, and mm. I literally found mm. my sobriety and on my rack in prison reading the Bible and I made every every moment of it the best you know I made every the best use I could make out of that time and, and I read the Bible front to back in the two years I ended up doing um, five times front to back and then I read the New Testament an additional seven times and I also read just about every self-help or spiritual book I could get my hands on and it was probably like 25 or 30 books and I also um, went to a substance abuse program and I ended up being the intern at the at uh, it was called meth matrix and I ended up um, I wouldn't say teaching but facilitating the class um, which and, and now that I'm looking back, I know that God was just shaping me for the position that I'm in at His way, because it's kind of the same. You, you're trying to help help uh, other guys, but 
In prison, the only difference is when you write them up, they'll stab you. <laughs> but I did, and and uh, nobody stabbed me. And um, so I got out of prison, and I I wanted to go to his ways. I heard about it, and some guys in jail, ironically, are like, "Yeah, you need to go to his way," and 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 you know, because you're on a spiritual journey, and and you can continue. But I also knew that I needed help when I got out trying to transition from um, that environment to a, you know, the, the free world. Yeah. And um, so I made the decision to go and I put in an application and I called every week for over a year because I just knew I was going to get parole any day now, but I never did. <laughs> but um, You had too much history, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it was just, it was a blessing. Um, even the time in prison to me was, I can see how it, it was, mm. it was part of my story is what I needed. God sat me down and got me to, gave, gave me the time to get to know him because I, there's no way you can read the Bible that much or <laughs> books that no. much on the streets, um, in real life. Now I'll bet the majority of the people listening to this podcast have not read the Bible that much. For sure. <laughs> and who have grown up in the church and, and doing the churchy thing their whole life. Let me ask you this. I know at least somewhere along the way, too, because you, you said this before, and I'm trying to recall, but you said there was somebody who who made a Im- big impact in your life, too, while you were in prison. Um, and you said you wound up being baptized by them or something. I remember this from... Um, you said it was a preacher or somebody that did prison ministry or came from something. Yeah, um, I don't know. If, well, it's somebody that I knew from previous, but it, it oh, wasn't okay. really that really big. Um, I don't know if they really had a huge imp- Well, they did have a huge impact in the sense that they baptized me. And um, I got baptized November 24th, 2018, it was November. It was cold outside, mm-hmm. and I got baptized in a wreck yard in a horse trough. Oh my! And um, <laughs> ice bath. Yeah. So that was uh, about four months after I got arrested, and this is before I even got sentenced. You know, I had, um, and, and when I got sentenced, that was two different counties. I got ended up with seventy-eight months in one county and seventy months in the other, and they dropped my um, class A's to B's and threw just about everything else out. And I had court-appointed lawyers, and it was in two different counties. So that was all, you know, just mm. that was all just grace right there. Um, and I knew that God was working in my life from the moment, um, from the moment I got arrested, mm-hmm. actually. And um, I kept the faith. And, and a lot of times, you know, there's been times I was in prison or in jail that I would go to church, you know, and I would wonder about it. But I just, I really didn't believe. You know, I wanted to know what was going on but i just i I struggled with it yeah so when you i mean your story is amazing but so when you left prison walked out and into the world again how did how did god work in all that have you seen it have you seen god work through that since that (laughs) point on i mean I, i saw i've seen his hand on all this other already but what about what about since then um God has been good to me. I, I know this much. Um, so I went through his way. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to, um, 
I knew that I wanted to work there and that I wanted to help others. And mm. of course he, he fulfilled that. And uh, I graduated, um, I, I became staff. Um, <clears throat> he, he really just hasn't, it's, he hasn't stopped blessing me the whole time. I'm, of course I got out of prison with nothing. Um, the first couple thousand dollars I saved up, I went and hired a lawyer, um, a family lawyer for my son, Gage, my youngest one, who I just recently got rights to, which I, that took about a year and a half for it to go to court. Mm. Um, I've been out a little over two years. I also hired another lawyer for some cases that I had got from 2017, <laughs> some old stuff that caught up to me. Um, and I recently just got out of court and under the point system, I had enough points to go to prison two times ago because I've already been. But um, <clears throat> I buy the, the, I don't, Doug, I don't even know if you know about this, but I just went to court a couple of weeks ago and they gave me a 10 split two yeah. um, community corrections. So basically, I'm in prison right now, but I'm doing it on the street. <clears throat> but I have to report and I'm on color code, which is a breeze because I've been sober for over four years now Amen. and they can have my pee whenever they like. <laughs> <laughs> and, I and I don't worry about um, messing up the probation because I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But so um, since then, I've, I've bought a car cash. I've, I've hired the two lawyers. Um, I've got rights to my son, which is going great. Mm. Um there's some things that I don't know if you would you would call it a blessing, but um, I've been through some things uh, since I've been out. Mainly, uh, I lost my sister uh, July 26 uh, to an overdose mm -hmm. a couple months ago, and um, but the blessing in that, I guess, is that God was there with me, and that. Um, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever been through, just about, um, especially sober, but I'm still sober, and I stayed, I remained faithful and stayed, stayed uh, focused on my recovery and um, dealing with it pretty well, and I know that that's because of God, too. Mm. Yeah. That was that was one of the things, and I, I know that uh, over the last, you know, month and a half or two it hadn't been all that long um when when she passed away I, I you know I I got I get to visit with Blake at you know every other week we wind up seeing each other every week we wind up seeing each other because uh, of my connection over his way and and every week I'd kind of say something but it was it was it's so cool to see people with faith versus people without um because you know there's a hope, even with a loss. Mm. You know, you, you have a different hope than you would have. You know, it's not, it, it's just, it's so much different. And, I, and I, watched, I watched Blake go from the normal sadness to even in the middle of that, processing through knowing that there's, there's still hope. There's hope for a future. There's, that you know, I watched. And then after that, you get custody of your son, yeah, that right after she she passed too, and, and mm. I was being blessed in the middle of the of the tribulation. It seems, but um, 
which was which was kind of strange, but I managed through it, and I was still um, I'm still picking up my joy here and there. But there's there's definitely beauty in the ashes. Um, you know, my sister like me in and out of jail. She's been to prison six times, and um, she got out, and you know, she's seen how I was living and how and the the path that I was on. And um, I wrote her, and I talked to her about God, and so she started pursuing. Um, she went to a rehab. Uh, when she got out, um, <clears throat> she gave her life to Christ. Um, my mom, even, she started, she hadn't been to church since she was 15. Now she, she comes to church with me. And, huh. um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, the the fruit is, is, is all over the place, and... The best thing I can say is that I, I was, the I was a blessing to share Jesus with my sister and to see her come to salvation. And she had been to, she had been twenty months sober, and um, she relapsed, and of course she overdosed. But I know that her salvation is, is secure, and, yeah. and that's um, that's the main thing. You know, if you keep the main thing main thing is that I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get to see her again and I'm just glad of that and it's almost like this I mean this might sound great it's almost like God knew that she was fixing to go back down that path and he was fixing to get really ugly and he said all right child you're mine just come on home and I know that she's in the arms of the Lord and that um she mm-hmm. is doing great um we're the ones and I'm the one that are down here trying to miss her, and, and we're the ones being selfish um, when really we should just be happy that she's home and that we get to see her again. Mm. So um, even that and, and even even all of that has strengthened my faith, my faith um, immensely. I, I, I leaned into God big on this one. And while I wasn't willing to come do your podcast because I just yeah. didn't feel like – I had it in me. Um, I, I, I had a time for grieving, but I feel like God has told me that my time for grieving was over and that um, I needed to be happy and that she wanted me to be happy as well. Now, I, I will tell you, there's zero doubt that this story, your story is going to impact lives of people who listen to it. I mean, there's there's just no doubt. and And I think... You know, we, we say this all the time on the, on the podcast, but truly, I think our biggest story about Jesus is our brokenness that he heals. You know, it's, it's just and how he works in and out of that story. Because your story, there is no reason why you should be sitting here with us. Yeah. None. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, cause, cause, because reality is, you know, we've sat and watched it over and over. That should have been a bullet. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and 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 you know this sounds kind of bad, but that's what you would have deserved. But that's Jesus. That's the Jesus factor coming in there. It wasn't a bullet, mm-hmm. and and that Jesus kind of showed up through an electrical probe to your to your head. Yeah, I honestly feel like he had compassion on me, and that he knew my heart. And he knew how lost I was, and he wanted to restore me. And, you know, that's just exactly yeah. what uh, he is an expert in, is, mm-hmm. is seeking the lost. But he he wanted me to know him, and, and 
um, there's no doubt that there was probably, you know, there was more than that one crossroad in my life, you know, but I just, I missed it every other time. There yeah. was another time I went to a faith-based rehab and my full intentions on that one, they, they said 15 years pending the outcome. So I, my intentions that time was to graduate the program, dodge the prison sentence and, um, keep living my life the way I was. But, um, that didn't work out well either. So <laughs> you, were, you were back. I, yeah, I was back. In fact, I got arrested two months after I graduated. Oh, wow. wow. But um, <clears throat> I'm not the author of this story, so and I'm glad of that. So um, he's the author. And um, did, did you – all right, this is a silly question almost, but was it Damascus Road that you were on when you got hit by the – because this <laughs> seems like a very <laughs> Paul story. It's like it, – like, Jesus shined his light through the electrobe in your brain, but he, he shined the light down on Paul on the Damascus Road. You know, I, I just, I keep thinking of that and, and how now, I, I mean, I, I seriously do. As you started telling this story, I start thinking of all the guys that talk about you, that how you've impacted their lives. Yeah. And, and that just reminds me of Paul. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing, and these guys tell me that all the time. And I don't, I don't, I'm I'm real modest. Um, I don't like to, you know. It's like, it's not me. It's God. It's God working in Absolutely. my life. There's nothing I've done other than tell them what He's done in my life, and um, He saved my life in more ways than one. And I'm just eternally grateful. And um, another thing is, is since since I do have all these mug shots in Huntsville and since I am well known in this community, especially in the drug world, that a lot of these people, half the guys that come through his way knew me on the street. Oh yeah. And they used to see me that way and then they see me this way and they're like, Man, you're a different person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Amen. <laughs> you know, what he done for me he'll do for you. Yes. Yeah. You know, and um it just never ceases me to amaze me, you know. God is still at work, and He's still, still doing miracles every day, and and in the lives of not only mine but the guys around me, the guys in the program, and all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. so, you know it's kind of interesting, Blake. We there, there are different people listen to this podcast, and I, I and. I know there's probably people that'll hear this that are probably experiencing some kind of difficulty. It could be something they brought on to themselves, or it could be they could be dealing with uh, substance abuse themselves. But some it could be just because of the broken world we live in and stuff's out of their control and they feel out of control. So as we kind of come toward the end of this uh, podcast, you know, if you could say something to those people that are hurting right now that maybe are feel like, you know, I can't go on with this. I can't deal with this. You know, I, 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 there's no, there's no purpose for me anymore. And I don't know what I'm going to do. What, what's some words you could tell speaking to them? Uh, maybe if you haven't already shared already with, with this. Um, for me, I, I guess the best advice I could give would be to choose life. You know, um, we all go through things and um, everybody's story is different, but it's all the same at the same time. You know, in this world, we will have trouble. And, um, you know, you can either 
you know, dwell in the misery and the pain, or you can choose to dwell in the light and um, choose to be happy and remain in in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, He will He will be there with you the whole way. Um, he loves you and He wants to care for you, and you just have to let Him. So I just I would just say choose life, and and there is hope. Um, it's there. You just got to reach it and grab it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if there's there's anybody that can speak to that, I feel like you can. So for, after all that you've been through is that. And it, it is cool to think about how you, you say you, you had different crossroads, but it wasn't the right time. I do feel like God continues to, to put crossroads in our paths and allows us the opportunity out of our situation. But so many times we have blinders on. Yeah, and we're well, he is the great shepherd, right? So yeah. if, you, if you miss the gate, he's just going to continue to herd you around to the to the pen he wants you in. Yeah, mm. I like that. Yeah, me too. I like yeah. that. Well, thank you for being here. Um, I'd love to to pray for you, and uh, but I want you to know what a blessing and encouragement you are to me. Um, and I know God's still writing your story, as you say, Amen. and He's got more yeah. work for you to do. Um, but your story is not in vain. I know it, it, it has a lot of pain and, and, and difficult things in it, but you haven't, you haven't been through that just in vain now. You know, I think if your life would have continued down the same path, it would have been just another sad story. Yeah, I, I definitely have purpose, and um, he gave me that. Yeah. Amen. Well, let me pray. Thank you for being here. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Thank you. God, I... Um, I'm thankful for Blake and the blessing he's been to my life, how I see God working in him, how I see these men look at him and go, hey, I know you. Hey, you're a, you're a former drug addict that was a bad dude. And, uh, and, and now they see you. They just see you in him, and, and I'm thankful for that, Father. What, what a testimony to who you are and how you work. And, Father, I just I pray that, when people encounter us, they just see you. Um, they don't see our past or our history, or maybe they do see our past and our history, and they still see you, which just reveals you clearer. Um, I'm thankful again for the work you still have to do for Blake uh, and in all of our lives. Father, I pray that you lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Blake. Yeah, thank you so much, Blake. Our stories of brokenness, struggles, failures, and sin help others know that they are not alone. And that while we as a church are imperfect and broken, God has the ability to take our stories and to make them into a story that shines the light back on Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. It's our hope that the people listening to this will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your stories if you're willing to share it. We appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. We'd also love to hear from you if you have a faith story you'd love to share. You can reach out to us at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.